Hey guys, we're super excited to invite you to our community picnics that we're having on September 24th from five to seven. It's bring your own chair, bring your own food, bring all of your friends and family. Abel will tell us a little bit more about the details and uh, locations. Yeah, we'll have, these picnics will be at five different locations around uh, Benton County. Yeah, those five locations are Metfield and Bella Vista, Memorial Park in Bentonville, Pea Ridge City Park for Pea Ridge, Citizens Park for Centerton and Southwest Bentonville, and Mount Hebron for Cave Springs. Our heart is just that you would get a chance to connect with a broader community, those people that live around you and are part of Fellowship Bentonville. We hope to see you on the 24th. Good morning, my name is uh, Hunter. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and our team really, really hopes that next Sunday night y'all will carve out some time uh, just to be together as uh, God's people. We are a, a regional church, which means people are driving 15 to 30 minutes to come worship together with us, and then you scatter, and it's hard to know, like, okay, when you're here, are you my people? Like, do you live in Pea Ridge or Bella Vista or whatever? This is to help with that, just to take an evening where uh, you as an individual or with your family can go to the closest part to you and meet other uh, believers who worship here at Fellowship. So, Yes, you can invite neighbors, uh, you'll bring your own food and lawn chair, uh, you could bring your own yard game, because nothing says friendship like destroying someone in cornhole, that's a great way to, to build relationships, um, but yeah, we want to invite you to go. So this isn't a community group thing, you could go with your community group if you'd like, um, but our group will probably go to multiple parts, because we live in different areas. And uh, one kind of correction, if you saw in the video uh, we're meeting at Memorial Park. For those who are in kind of central Bentonville, the video was of orchards. Those are two different parks. So please make sure you go to Memorial, which is over by uh, the skate park. I think Abel's going to be doing skate tricks there, which will be really, really fun. Um, okay, Landon and Alyssa, come on up. I want to introduce you all to some friends uh, because earlier this year, we were getting ready to, to launch some new things. And I was getting some things on my plate as a staff member that I'm like, man, this is just too much. And Merge is one of them. Uh, if you don't know, a couple of times a year we run an eight-week premarital experience here at Fellowship Bentonville that has a large group and a small group component. And I just sat and prayed one weekend like, Lord, would you just send somebody? Like, I need some help. I need someone who would say like, hey, this is what we love to do and we want to own it. The next morning, I get an email uh, from a couple that I've never met, and it's Landon and Alyssa first. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. So I'm Landon. This is my lovely wife, Alyssa, and we are from the Dallas area. We were born and raised there. We've been married for eight years and together for 13, and we have been serving with Merge um, Premarital Ministry for about four years now. We started um, actually serving with um, in Merge with the church that created the curriculum back in Dallas, and um, when the Lord called us to Bentonville about two years ago, we were bummed to not have the opportunity to serve with that ministry anymore, and so we were really excited when we started coming to fellowship and saw that they were actually um, partners in this ministry, and um, I'll let Alyssa talk a little bit more about Merge specifically. Yeah, so after you all moved here, like you've had experience, you've also led one Merge group for us. Well, why, why merge? Why, what's the benefit of couples getting together to have these kind of foundational conversations before marriage? Yeah, so we've just seen merge the curriculum 
really blessed couples who are seriously dating, who are engaged, really looking to establish a foundation for a godly marriage, um, just opening up the floor for conversations about how do I interact with my in-laws? How do I um, set expectations with communicating with my spouse? There's so many great topics that we cover that really help couples to build a foundation for a godly marriage. And our vision for Merge is that as these couples step into marriage, they have that godly foundation. They'll in turn build families that are godly and then pour that fruit into the community. And so we're excited to see that continue to overflow here in Bentonville. We're really passionate about um, these couples just diving in and putting the Lord at the center of their relationship. I love it. So number one, be careful what you email us about and say you're interested in hearing more information about because we will be like, hey, we've been praying for someone to lead that. Welcome to our team. Uh, but super grateful for them and the studies. Just so y'all know, they will be leading this ministry. Um, our staff team will come in and do some of the large group teachings, but this is just another example of someone saying, we have a passion and we want to step in and lead and care. So the next session starts in just a couple of weeks. It's October 1st. It's eight weeks um, on Sunday nights, and like I said, there's a, a large group where we'll have a live teaching um, from someone on our team and their spouse, and then there will be small group discussions. So if you are seriously dating or engaged, obviously this is an invitation for you. Um, they would love to have you in small groups uh, this fall, but also if you know of someone uh, in your life, in your sphere, they do not have to go to fellowship. They don't even have to know Jesus uh, we have non-believing couples that have gone through this and actually gotten to experience like healthy biblical community for the first time. And so this is a great opportunity for anyone who fits that kind of seriously dating or engaged to come in and to be known and to have these conversations. So y'all will be at the resource booth, at least one of you, after the service. Um, so if you would like to talk to them, get more information, uh, you can find them out there. Um, and we'd love to kind of help get you plugged in to that. We love community. Obviously, we love serving. Uh, they're getting to do it in this format, but it's happening in a ton of different formats. And we want to continually share stories of how God is working through people so that we remember this is not just theory, right? God actually works and the gospel is moving. And so I uh, want you to hear from some of our friends, Noah and Anne Elizabeth, on what that's looked like for them. It's cool to join in and be like, I'm going to take ownership in this church too. And like, this is important to me and I'm going to help out and it is just like a really big blessing because then you meet all these other people alongside um, who are also are like-minded in that way. Well, we're the Hernbecks and we um, met at Harding University, which is a Christian college in like more southern central Arkansas. And he grew up in Nashville. I grew up in Columbia, Missouri. I knew some people from college. They recommended fellowship and it was the first church that we tried together. So we went to the Rogers campus because Bentonville wasn't built yet. And we talked to the pastor after the service and then went to the connection booth. It honestly, like they did such a great job at, um, once we showed interest of like being in community, they did a really great job of plugging us in with a lot of people. So I lead in the early childhood ministry and that's been really fun. I'm a labor and delivery nurse and so I love everything babies and that's been fun to like feel like I can use my college education and my career to then also serve at church. Um, and it's definitely something I'm very passionate about. And that's been sweet to just meet a lot of families at fellowship and then also just the coworkers. And I just am very passionate about that field. 
Leading worship is something I've done since like eighth grade. So it's been a really big part of my spiritual journey my whole life. And it's been really good for me to get involved with Fellowship's worship ministry just because of the people, the hearts of the people that I get to serve with are really, really encouraging to me. And it's also been a really uh, great plug for community as well, just like keeping out and building those relationships. And so I've really enjoyed getting to get close with the people that I serve with uh, on Sunday mornings. And that's been a huge blessing to me. And then we've also, you know, going from being in a community group to leading a community group. Yeah, this is the first time that we've been able to be on the same team spiritually and lead something together. So we're getting good reps on, you know, how do we like lead as a couple and where do I submit to Anne Elizabeth and, you know, vice versa, I guess. And, and just figuring, you know, just figuring it out, like what does walking with the Lord together like look like and um, how does that translate to our community that we get to walk alongside with? So it's been really challenging in a good way. I would say one of the biggest blessings has been community. So like we came here starting from like square one. I would feel still how we felt those first couple weeks if we had never plugged in. I think it would be just like very intimidating, like this big church and they talk a lot about like community groups and small groups and plugging in. So I'd almost feel like I'm missing like part of that. It's hard to, to get up and to like say, hey, I'm looking for community in whatever way that looks like. Especially, you know, me being uh, kind of more introverted and maybe just a little bit more to myself naturally. But the step, taking the step is, has been so, so worth it. We're going to begin our time together by singing a song, declaring um, our dependence on the Lord and dedicating our lives to Him. So let's sing this out together. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless prayer. that you would move in this place now as you have moved in the past, as you're moving in our lives presently, as you will in the future. And would you align us to the things that you're doing this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. I was reminded of Romans 10, verses 9 through 10. And it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So we're gonna pray this prayer, and I invite you to pray it with us. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna confess together where we have fallen short and how much we need a savior in our lives. And then the second slide, we're gonna turn and we're gonna profess our confident assurance in our pardon from our sin 
that he is with us to his praise and to his glory. So will you pray with us? Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us of our sin. We are in need of a savior. Church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we continue to sing. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Sure and steady, my hope is held in your hand. When castles crumble and breath is fleeting, upon this rock I will stand. Upon this rock I will stand.
sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Oh Lord, we are grateful for your word, for the truth of your word, um, for the goodness of your word. God, we cling to it in uh, the times where things are going great and the times where things are really hard. Um, God, we pray for, uh, for Libya right now. And uh, just with the devastation of flooding and so many family members uh, waking up, just seeking um, to find other family members and not, not having it, Lord. And just the, the pain that comes through grief, pray that the church would be uh, the hands and feet of you in this moment, um, that people would step in and love in the way that Christ loves and comfort in the way that, that you comfort and that we would see, God, the body of Christ be real and tangible um, and that our eyes would be continually fixed on you with a longing for perfection that you bring, even in this broken world. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word is good, whether it's read by a nine-year-old or a 99-year-old, it is still sharp and active and living. And uh, it's one of the reasons that our staff team is Uh, So excited to be back anchored in a book of the Bible. We've done quite a few kind of topical things or overview things this year, but this is our bread and butter to open a book of God's Word and kind of work through it chunk by chunk, which we will do all the way up until uh, Thanksgiving. So if you weren't here last week, we're in the book of Philippians. Uh, This is week two, and the book that Hank was reading from is our Philippians uh, guidebook, They're $10 in the foyer. You do not have to have one. They're just very helpful. They're also free online, but it contains the the passage each week, a space to take notes, uh, your own kind of discussion guide for community groups, um, but also uh, scripture for you to read weekly for your your own daily devotionals. And so uh, you could buy those if you would like, but I just wanted to remind you. So last week, Mark walked us through the first 11 verses of Philippians uh, chapter 1. And he also talked a little bit about Paul's journey uh, in Acts that we trace and we see where Paul actually goes and visits uh, the city called uh, Philippi, and he builds a relationship with people. And so later on in his journeys, he would actually uh, take time to write a letter back to those people, to that church, and that is our book of uh, Philippians. So as Paul is beginning this letter and he's now greeted his friends that he misses and kind of prayed over them. He then goes into explaining a little bit about his current circumstances. And he says, I want you to know, brothers or brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, maybe some of you read this and you are scholars and you are historians and you know most of the scripture by heart. Um, And so you know exactly what Paul's talking about. But for the one or two of you who might need a refresher, like me, buckle up. We're going to do a little bit of a history lesson uh, through the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts uh, comes right after the Gospels. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. 
And then it moves into this story of Acts where Jesus ascends back to heaven and he empowers his followers, okay, the, the early apostles and believers, to walk in the Spirit of God. He gives them the Holy Spirit and we begin to see this, this church form. Christ's church is forming in those uh, early chapters. But it's met with opposition because it's very different from what uh, people were expecting uh, folks to say. And so there's some opposition. One of the main enemies of the early church his name was Saul, and he's highlighted uh, pretty heavily in the book of Acts. And so he's the one threatening to murder Christians and standing by as Christians are being murdered. And the Lord actually appears to Saul, radically transforms his life, and he becomes the instru instrument of God to take the gospel message of Jesus to the Gentiles and to places that it's never been before. So that's Acts chapter 9 is kind of where uh, that beginning transformation takes place. His name will later be changed from Saul to Paul. He's the one who is writing a lot of our New Testament letters, including the book of Philippians. So one of Paul's roles is to be a missionary for the gospel and to take it places. And so he goes on a couple of journeys to do that. And so we see in Acts chapter 13 that Barnabas and Saul um, are called out by the church at Antioch, and they're set apart to be sent off to take the gospel to these new places. So they go from Antioch. And they kind of just do a little out and back and go hit a couple of key cities and start the spread of this gospel message. It's the first missionary journey of Paul in Acts 13 and 14. Chapter 15 uh, begins with, uh, after some days, Paul saying to Barnabas, like, hey, we should go back. Like, let's run it back. We missed those people. That was really fun. Let's take the message back and see how are they doing? What, what's happening? And so they want to go visit the brothers in every city they had gone, but that's where Mark picked it up last week because that was their plan, which is a great plan, but the Spirit of God had a different plan, and that was to bring Paul over to Macedonia, and he ends up going to visit this church or th this people at Philippi, and they become the Philippians church there. And so Paul and Barnabas actually have a falling out, so it's Silas who goes with Paul on this uh, second journey uh, to the city. While they're there... Uh, Paul is imprisoned, and the jailer's actually converted. Paul ends up getting released on a technicality, okay? He, he lets them know, hey, by the way, Roman government, I'm a Roman citizen, and they realize, oh, we've messed up. We have imprisoned one of our own unlawfully, so they give him a plea deal to get out of there, and they basically say, we'll let you out of prison, but you have to leave our city. You cannot stay here. So Paul's like, great, I'll go take the gospel somewhere else, Acts 16. He continues sharing the gospel across Europe. Uh, places that he would later write letters to, like Corinth. That's where we get our book of Corinthians, first and second. And there's really not a great transition in Scripture between the second and the third journey, but Paul goes back out again. And he goes to places like Ephesus and different places. Ephesus is Acts chapter 20. For two years, he's traveling now in this one and just taking the gospel to new places. And somewhere in this journey, he stops and he writes a letter to the people of Rome. That's our modern-day book of Romans. And if you read it, you notice in the, in the book that Paul's never visited them. But what he says is like, I long to meet you. I want so bad to come to you. But I have no idea how I'm going to make it happen. I can't get over there. You can see he gets somewhat close, I guess, in Greece. And he can kind of feel like, I want to get over to Rome, don't we all? And he's wanting to go over there and actually share the gospel with them. Now notice, the first uh, two journeys start and end in Antioch. 
but he doesn't make it back to Antioch in this third journey. Why? Well, he has a prophet named Agabus who comes to him and actually gives him a word and says, hey, Paul, he takes his belt, he binds his hands and feet, and he stands in front of Paul and he says, this is what the Jews are going to do to the owner of this belt if he goes to Jerusalem. By the way, Paul, this is your belt. So if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to be arrested. And if I hear that, I'm like, I've always wanted to go to Rome, right? Like, I'll I'll just divert and go over to Italy. Like, he's told me I'm going to be arrested. That's not going to be good. But look at Paul's reaction. Verse 13, he answers, what are you doing? Weeping. You're breaking my heart. Not only am I ready to be imprisoned for the sake of Jesus, but even to die for the name of the Lord Jesus, if that's what it takes. Sure enough, the prophet was right. He goes to Jerusalem, and he's arrested. So story over. The book of Acts ends, right? Chapter 21. No, there's more. But how can he go on another missionary journey? There is a fourth missionary journey, but I have missionary in uh, quotes because all of this takes place while Paul is imprisoned, okay? There, Acts 22 through 28 is a beautiful story of his faithfulness through imprisonment, trials, speeches before rulers. The whole time he's sharing the gospel with anyone who wants to listen or anyone who's just standing near him at the time. And eventually, notice where this imprisonment takes him. They put him on a ship to get him out of Jerusalem. He gets shipwrecked, and he ends up later getting all the way to Rome. The people that he said he wanted to go to, he got there. People pay tens of thousands of dollars to make this trip today, right? Lots of money. Paul got there fully financed by the government. Now, he was in chains, so... Uh, probably not the most ideal, but he doesn't see it that way. In fact, look at how the book of Acts ends. Paul says, let it be known, salvation has made it to the Gentiles, and they will believe. They're listening. And the whole time that he's uh, there at his own expense in this kind of uh, house imprisonment, he's welcoming all the people who are coming, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Those are friends coming, but those are guards hearing He's getting to preach in front of everyone, and he's giddy about it. Let's go, baby. Like, this happened, and it worked. And it's in this house arrest, imprisonment situation in Rome that Paul takes some time to think about the people that he's met. And he thinks about this church that has financed him, that has been joyful with him, that has been his friends, and he writes them a letter, and that's what we have to read today. And so when you know that, it makes this make so much more sense, that the Philippians are worried about what has happened to Paul. And he is understanding that they're probably worried, but he's reframing and saying, what's happened to me? All of this stuff getting me here to Rome, it's served to advance the gospel into places that it never could have gone without this situation. He's not saying like, guys, I'm okay. It's going to be all right. He's saying, no, this is, this is good. Like, this whole situation is good. The gospel of Jesus is making its way across the world. But it does seem like that he's gotten word that maybe they're a little bit worried about him or about themselves. Like, what's going to happen to us if Paul's taken into prison? What's going to happen to the gospel? Like, is this where the story ends in Rome and then it's just over? And opposition to the gospel of Jesus or to Christians produces fear in Christians. It has for 2,000 years. That's a first century problem that we still, still see today. 
there's an underlying fear amongst a lot of us that we have to fight for power and cultural influence in order to see this thing move. But Paul is in chains, and it's still advancing. So apparently, the gospel transcends our ability to have cultural influence or power, even in our, our local cities. But even more than that, what I want you to see is that there are people hearing the gospel for the very first time, and they would not have if not for this hard part of Paul's story. There's a theme throughout Scripture of God using unfortunate circumstances and unqualified people uh, for the progression of his story. And I know some of you might pull up your phones and take a picture of this because it's a lot of information. Uh, Let me remind you that on our fellowship app, you can have all of these slides. Even as you go, you can just flip through them. You could screenshot them if you want to save them to your photos. Or you could pull up your phone and take a picture because that works too. Um, But I want to just give you a high-level view of God using unqualified people or unfortunate circumstances to advance his story. Joseph, his brothers tried to kill him, and they sold him into slavery, right? But That ended up leading him to Egypt where he would rise to power and be able to save God's people in the midst of a famine. Moses was put in a basket as an infant uh, in the river and actually floated his way to become part of Pharaoh's house, get raised in Pharaoh's house, and then would be the one who would actually lead God's people out of slavery from Egypt. Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute who showed mercy to God's people and not only ended up having fear and honor for the Lord, but she would be part of the lineage of a guy named Jesus Christ. Talk about an underdog story. Uh, Daniel and Esther, uh, two uh, biblical characters that we highlighted earlier this year as we watched them in their unfortunate situations be faithful to God. David's one we're going to focus on in January, and so we'll have an eight to ten week, I think, series in January looking at his life. Mary, teenage mother of Jesus, that is an interruption she was probably not expecting. Uh, Stephen, the first martyr for his faith, first person killed because he was a Christian. And at the end of his story, In Acts 7 and 8, there's a verse that says that a certain man stood and watched and approved of him being murdered because he followed Jesus. Any guesses? It was Saul, who would become Paul, who would write this letter. I don't know that the gospel knows another way forward except through opposition and underdogs. It just seems like that's the way that God moves. Scripture unanimously debunks this health and wealth gospel, this celebrity pastor, celebrity believer gospel, right? It's random people that God uses in really big ways, and fortunately or unfortunately for us, often hard ways. I think it's important to understand the distinction here that Paul's story is a story of direct gospel opposition. We would call that persecution, okay? He is being persecuted because of what he believes. You and I, because of where we live, may never encounter that. I would say it's likely that at some point you will, and maybe you already have. But sometimes the things that we go through, the difficult things, aren't gospel opposition. It's just the brokenness of living in a broken world. And the same principle applies, that the gospel advances through painful circumstances for us. And there's ways that God moves through pain that we can never see him move otherwise. One of the greatest articulations of that that I heard was about nine years ago, and it was from a third grade boy. Uh, He was about the same age as my son uh, is right now. It was in a third grade service. 
uh, at the Rogers campus. So this kid is now 18, but I just remember being there and watching him. He's in one of our senior cell groups, and uh, his name is John Edgar Schaefer. And I'll never forget watching this third grader stand up in front of his peers, sharing his story, and the line that I remember to this day was this, that he looked at all of them with his dad standing there with him, and he said, I'm learning that God doesn't waste pain. And part of his story was physical health circumstances that he was dealing with. And even at that age, learning to see like, okay, God, you may not have designed this. You may not be happy about this, but you are using this and you're not wasting pain. And that would stick with me. I mean, I'm 34 now, looking back nine years later, and I still remember that, but didn't know how much I would need those words ringing in my ears until I faced a hard situation. So, Uh, Y'all may have seen this before. This is our memorial stone jar where we keep uh, different trinkets that remind us of situations where we've seen God's faithfulness in our lives through the highs and through the lows. So this is an ultrasound from 2021, and it's the ultrasound of our fourth son. And uh, it was on May 4th of 2021, at 17 weeks pregnant, that we found out that our son had died. And for those of you in here who may be in a present situation, Uh, where you're going through a lot of grief, uh, there's an overwhelming amount of grief that comes with death that we cannot describe, that I wouldn't be able to describe for you right now. There's an overwhelming amount of grief and anxiety that comes from unknown when we're sitting in those hard circumstances. And I think we're two years later now that we have our heads a little bit above water and it still hits us in waves. But as we look back and reflect and process with different community groups and different friends, there are things that Alex and I see that God has done in us that never would have happened without this. An anchoring to a hope in the wholeness that Jesus brings, um, a generous grace for others who've walked through brokenness. We've seen gospel conversations happen because of this. And in the midst of it, never had the ability to say like, hey, yeah, this is all good. Like, God is present. We're going to be totally fine. There are moments where we couldn't speak, where we couldn't see, we couldn't read just because of the tears. But I'm convinced, looking back and seeing what God has done, that God uses painful moments to advance the good news of who he is and the life that he brings in ways that he never could any other ways. And our goal is not to, if you're in one of those moments, the goal is not to like, hey, get happy, like bring up your joy, like let's see it. It's not to see where God is working, although some of you may be able to, some of us could. It's to see Jesus in it with you and to know that he has not left you and that he's walking very closely because he identifies with suffering and he sits in those moments with us. God moves through pain and through difficulty. It's part of his story. All right. That was Philippians 1, verse 12. Um, So we're going to go a little bit faster to get through the rest of this. But something was happening with the gospel message that would be impossible without Paul's imprisonment. And not only is it advancing to new places because of it, look at what it's doing to the church. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It is invigorating the church. It is breathing life and hope to others because when we see someone step into something hard and it doesn't crush them, it breaks them, but their eyes are up and they see something past it, man, that encourages us, for us as other believers to watch 
And things for Paul are not all fine and dandy, okay? Yes, he's got the opposition of chains here, which I think he probably knew was going to happen, that people who don't believe this are going to oppose us. But there's another type of opposition that I don't think he saw coming, and that was from within. Surely not the church would play a part in some of this persecution, right? But here's what Paul says. Some indeed are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, and they're sharing this message with some sort of selfish ambition. So you've got two forms of opposition here, chains and selfish Christians. And the heart of the story is that both had the opposite of their intended effect, that neither of them could thwart what God was doing in and through Paul. Paul doesn't tell us why they're jealous. Um, it's hard for me to honestly even picture it then because I don't fully understand the culture. I can see a little bit of this today um, with this idea of using a pulpit for maybe selfish gain. I think too often preachers and narcissism can overlap. Not everybody, not always. Um, but there is a desire when you get on a stage like this to be known. And I, think, I think there's two potential sins that we as preachers and teachers face when we're up here. Number one would be heresy, right? Saying uh, that God is saying something when he's actually not saying that. Uh, that would be big problem, number one. But number two is using this pulpit for self-gain or to put others down to elevate ourselves, which, by the way, is why I tend to put up a lot of self-deprecating pictures, okay? There is a heart behind it. Um, I'm a really weird dude, okay? And we all went through really tough stages, and mine still follow me. But a couple weeks ago, I put up a picture from 2009. It was me in a V-neck uh, with a Florida Lee on it, and I was, had a little curly afro and was headed to a Taylor Swift concert with my girlfriend, now wife. And uh, one of my coworkers came up to me in the office uh, that next Monday and was like, dude, you really love putting up pictures of yourself, don't you? I was, I was called out, okay? And I'm not above accountability. So, I'm sorry, I know you probably wanted to see one today, but no funny pictures of me today. Instead, you get one of him, which is great. So, so this is 2010 Seth Prem. Just soak it up. Y'all are like, some of you didn't even know that was Seth Prem. That is Seth and Joy. Joy has an age today. I don't know what happened with Seth, but... We're not that great. Seth, I know you're probably in here. Is this better? Yeah? Give me a thumbs up if this works. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Very kind of you. So I'm going to pay for that 100%. But this platform is not for me. It is not for Seth. It is not for Matt. It is not for Johanna. It is not for Abel. It is not for Mark, for Doug, for Mickey, for anyone who might stand up here and deliver something to us. This is not for us. This platform is for Jesus. And it's for his word. To be proclaimed. He's going to use some of us, but we have to continually keep the focus on him. And Paul is a much better man than me because he sees past this envy and rivalry, and he says, look, Christ is being proclaimed. I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm not going to get caught up in the envy and rivalry and what they're saying about me and who I am. At least they're talking about Jesus. And so his good news is moving. To avoid this trap of envy and rivalry, I think we have to consistently remember that we are just a small glimpse of the gospel movement, not only in the world, but even in our city. Did you know that there are other churches in Bentonville? Yeah, there are. Uh, did you know that we are not rivals? In fact, we kind of like them, okay? I uh, contacted a couple of 
church ministry partners this week and said, hey, will y'all just give me a story? Give me a story of what God is doing in your people so that our people can be encouraged. Let me share those with you. Our friends at New Heights, Bentonville, said that one of their members has started picking up five Hindu co-workers and commuting to work together to use that time to build relationships and sow seeds for the gospel. Taking a mundane task that most of us do and saying, how can I capitalize on this, to take this as a moment for the Lord? They also said that earlier this year, they got to baptize in the same day a seven-year-old and a 70-year-old, the same service, showing a picture of you're never too young or too old to say yes to obedience to Christ. Uh, Our friends at New Life Christian Church said that they've seen 56 new believers come to Christ and be baptized this year alone already, and that their people, their body has this hunger to connect with organizations in their community and not to be so secluded. And so uh, earlier this year, they got to purchase, pack, and distribute 500 backpacks to the city of Knoll and get to build relationships with people in that community. Grace Point, just down the road, said that they're seeing more people professing Christ than they've seen in the last three years, and that there's a renewed gospel awareness and a revival in evangelism, a simple revival in evangelism happening amongst their people. They keep going down the road, and the Catalyst Church uh, told me about a guy who was a functioning alcoholic for 30 plus years, and his life and his marriage were a mess, and he disappeared for about three years from the church. They thought he was gone for good, but one day he came back, and all he said was, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to do this, and God delivered him miraculously overnight from alcohol. He's been sober ever since, and he had such a radical transformation that his wife re-engaged their marriage, and it's been restored, and he's an abider in Christ, living out the fruits of what it means to walk with Jesus in his family, in his job, and in his church. Fellowship is not God's gift to Bentonville, right? Jesus is, and he's working in ways that we will probably never hear about because he's that big and he's moving all around us. But don't let that shy you away from going, but what, what part do I play in it? Because he wants to do some of those same stories in and through us as well. And like Paul, I think these stories should cause us to want to rejoice. When Paul's recounting the Philippians and what they've done and who they've been and the way that Christ has moved in them, he is constantly rejoicing. There's an unhindered joy when we hear life change stories. That's why we share them in video and on stage here. That's why we share them in community groups because something happens when we hear about God working through someone else. And Paul's specifically rejoicing because of the Philippians, their prayers, their ministry uh, to him and the power of the spirit that's working that's gonna bring about his deliverance. I'm not gonna stay on this very long at all. We will probably bring this up multiple times through the series, but I want you to just see a glimpse of how joyful and full of joy and rejoicing this book is. The theme of joy is saturated throughout the book of Philippians, and it's going to come in different forms. There's prayers of joy. There's joy, as we see today, because of the gospel advancing through tough circumstances, but Paul is going to continually go back to this theme of joy and his rejoicing. And here he says that he's rejoicing because he knows that he's going to be delivered. So Paul knows how the story is going to end, right? That he's going to be let go out of these chains. I don't think that's what he means when he is having that confidence and deliverance because he brings up his death, his potential death. And so Paul does know the outcome. He knows he's getting out of these chains, but it's going to come one of two ways. Either he's going to be released 
or he's going to be executed. And his heart is that Christ would be preached. His confidence is that Christ will be preached either way. Don't miss that. This is not a, oh, see, it all works out book where Paul is on the other side of this really hard situation. He's in it. He's writing this in chains. Yet Philippians is said to be the most joyful book in Scripture. He's realizing God wants to use me, and he is way bigger than my little story. And he has done so much to lead up to my life and will do so much after I die. Now, he's eagerly anticipating which route it's going to go, right? Am I going to get to live and keep preaching, or am I going to be executed? But either way, Christ will be glorified. I started thinking, man, where do we, like, how do we have that confidence? Because kind of expect that from Paul, right? He's like, you know, if there is a spiritual celebrity, Paul's a spiritual celebrity. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. But what about for us ordinary folk? Like, how do we have that confidence that, like, yes, in life or death? And I want you to understand, even from Scripture, there are examples of things that aren't just these, like, high believers and the way that they see Jesus. I'm going to tell you about a guy that you may have never heard before, not mentioned very much in Scripture, but his name is Gamaliel. This is in Acts chapter 5, so for context, this is before any of the missionary journeys that I talked about. Um, This is uh, before Paul has been converted from Saul, and so the church is just taking off, and Peter and the apostles are proclaiming the good news. People are starting to notice, so they get arrested. And here they are arrested, and this guy, Gamaliel, steps up and says something. And here's what we know about him. Not a Christian, but he was held in honor by all the people. He's very respected, and he was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And he says, whoa, 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 hold up. Don't mess with these guys. Take care what you are about to do with these men. And the reason he says this, he goes on to explain a couple of stories of this guy rose to power and gained a lot of followers, and then he died. And you know what happened to all of his followers? They dispersed. And then he tells a story of another guy who does the same thing and gathered followers just like them. But when he died, they all dispersed. And then he says this about these people. If this plan is an undertaking of a man, it will fail, just like those others. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And you might even be found opposing God. This is a non-Christian man of honor who's looking in and saying, something's different. And if what they say is true, get out of the way. Fun fact. I love when scripture comes together. Fun fact about Gamaliel. He's mentioned here in Acts 5, and he's mentioned one other time in a very short verse in Acts 22. And in Acts 22, one more fact is revealed about him, and it's that he mentored one young man. Anyone want to guess who he mentored? Saul. This was Paul's mentor. There's no scriptural evidence that says he came to faith in Jesus. We don't know that, right? But what we know is that he saw something, and even in his unbelief, the prophecy that he said about this truth that would then happen through his spiritual lineage would would be true. And what prophetic words those were, because think about it, not only was it unstoppable 2,000 years ago, it's still happening today and we're talking about it. Right? And there's ripples of the movement of what Jesus did so long ago still happening and taking place throughout this room. And the power of this gospel message comes from God. Paul's imprisonment, envious Christians, his potential death, all of it was proclaiming Christ. Neither persecution nor selfish Christians could stop the gospel movement then, and it won't happen 
today. And I love this quote from Robert Coleman, who wrote Master Plan of Evangelism, which many of you may have read. It's a classic. But he says this, world evangelization, people all over the world knowing Jesus is a divinely ordered goal for every Christian. Not only is it attainable, we can do it, it's inevitable. Whether or not we believe it, someday the gospel of the kingdom will be heard to the ends of the earth. And the God of the universe will not be defeated in his purpose. Any activity, anything we do that's not in step with his design for human destiny is an exercise in futility. And the sooner we realize this and align our ways with his, the sooner we will be relevant to eternity. The hope that we hold to is found in the fact that the gospel is unstoppable, that it is inevitable. The joy is found that he invites us to step into that, to be relevant for eternity. What in the world? Why do I have any right for that? But what God calls us into is to step in and to abide with him and to trust in the finished work that he's done and to come be a part of it, to share the good news, to open up our hearts and our homes for people to see like, here's what Christ has done in me and here's the hope that I'm founded on. Here's where my joy comes despite these circumstances because there's life to be found in Jesus that can be found nowhere else. That is worth celebrating, and that is a God worth worshiping, that we step in as believers in 2023 knowing that there are things that have happened before us and things that are going to happen long after us, and God will reign because he hasn't stopped reigning now. I want to invite you to stand with me. We want to spend time in worship because like that fires me up to know what Jesus accomplished on the cross is very real for me today and that I can trust it, that I'm not praying with some like, God, I, I so hope that you come through. Like, I hope you're who you say you are, but we pray and we worship with confidence because he is and he's proven it time and time again. We may not know how we're gonna get there or what it's gonna look like, but we do know how the story ends and we know what he's done and what he'll continue to do. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for all that you've accomplished for us, things that we can communicate, things that we don't even fully understand, but we trust in who you are, and that you take away fear of life and death because of who you are and what you've accomplished. God, that you give us hope to look past whatever we're going through, but you don't just say, hey, wait, it'll get better. You say, hey, I'm in here with you, and I'm not going anywhere. So we fix our eyes on you. We anchor in that hope. We sing praise to you, God. We sing a prayer to begin, and then we want to lift our voices loudly in worship to you. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. Savior, my defense, no more fear, no more fear in life or death. We sing that again. And I know how the 
thank you that you go before us, that you are with us, that you've gone behind us, that you are always around us and you're always empowering us. Father, thank you that we get to see all the way down the road. Thanks that it's not foggy. And I'm reminded of Deuteronomy 31, 6, when Moses was commissioning Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And he was told, I'm not gonna go with you, but he's sending Joshua and he's commissioning him. And he says in his kind of final hurrah to the Israelites, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them because the people looked bigger and stronger than they could conquer on their own. For the Lord your God, it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So that's our trust. That's our vision. It's not clouded. And I know for me, sometimes I get stuck and I look right ahead of me and I don't get to see all the way down the road. But when we have that vision, we know how the story ends. We can put our trust and our confidence in him. So will you pray with me? Jesus, in this week, would we remind ourselves of what you have done and how you are a firm foundation. And when we get stressed or troubled or doubtful or hurt, call us back to our true love. Call us back to remember all that you have done and that be our foundation, not our effort or striving. It's in your son's name we pray. is my firm foundation the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaking I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus cause he's never let me down he's faithful through jail joy in chaos I've got peace that makes no sense so I won't be going under I'm not held by my own strength cause I feel my life on Jesus cause he's never
just Paul's story. This is your story, this is my story. The Lord is always with us no matter what happens. The rain can come, the wind can blow, but he's there. was built on you, and I'm safe with you, I'm gonna make it through, the rain came my house was built on you, and I'm safe with you, I'm gonna make it circumstances. Well, we would love to pray with you this morning. Gordon and Colleen are here. They've been praying for us this morning, but they would also love the opportunity to pray with you. So if something that you would like prayer for, prayer with, they're here. And this is your first time here. We have a community uh, connections booth in the back. Uh, so come and say hi and learn how to get plugged in and live life with us. Also, there's a event at the Mormon Tabernacle today. So traffic is a little bit rough, so just be a little gracious in the waiting. Um, and if you can, take a right down Tiger. I know it'll be a little bit longer, but since they're getting out there at Alma going on to Central, it's gonna be super congested. So try to take a right down Central Tiger and then get to where you're going. Um, but I'll, let's read this benediction together. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. I can't read it back there, so I'm gonna turn around. So read it out loud with me so I don't mess it up. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters 
so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Go in the peace of Christ.